This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I am Joe Peterson. With me as always, my good friend and co-host, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going? Pretty good. I am finally back and we're finally recording another episode. Um, for <laughs> seems like it's been a long time, actually. It's just been a couple of weeks, but I've been busy uh, moving into a new house and moving into a new town, actually. So we, fi- we are now based in crystal lake illinois which is outside of chicago illinois but uh, yeah awesome. so in a new place awesome but. yeah so i was gonna say this is the first time you're not coming to us live and then re- recorded from chicago so <laughs> that's right so yeah so if i awesome. sound a little different or something it's because i'm still getting used to recording in a new space and i'm gonna try to find the optimum place to to do this but anyway today we get what we get so <laughs> we're well, finally got we, our, the computer desk and everything set up and ready to nice and, and we were talking a little bit before we were recording tonight like it said everybody in the family settling in good the kids are settling in good but something tells me that the movies we're going to talk about tonight uh and the director we're talking about tonight these probably aren't things you watched around your kids <laughs> no not i don't think uh these are movies that I want to introduce them to quite yet. Maybe when they're four or five, they'll be ready for these. But yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> no, just well, and, and actually, though, the director that we're going to be discussing tonight has made, I don't know if I'd say kid movies, but family movies. I mean, yeah. This guy's done it all. Yeah, he really has. I, he's a guy that I, just from his filmography and from my basic knowledge of him, um, just seems like he never says no to a gig, right? So he does, uh, he made everything from, um, I mean, I guess I guess his main thing is his um, kind of anime style, ultra violent Yakuza films, but mm-hmm. um, which, if anyone's not aware, of what the Yakuza is, Japanese organized crime syndicate or whatever, which obviously is based on a real life thing, but it yeah, it, it's taken on kind of a mythological. Uh, yeah, very very much very much like you know the the mafia that you hear about here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And the director that we're talking about tonight is none other than the one, the only, Tagashi Miike, yes. a Japanese filmmaker. Uh, and like you said, really known predominantly for his really ultra-violent and rather bizarre films. But uh, yeah, he's also done some dramas, and we mentioned some some family-friendly uh, stuff, and even some really big-budget samurai-style films. I mean, it's, it's weird when you look at most directors, right? They have their style, mm-hmm. and they have their, their motif... Uh, and occasionally they branch out, and that's that's always great. But this guy, it's hard to really pin down a, a motif. I mean, you, you, right. he's you'll watch a low budget film and see that it was it's one of his, but it came out right after he did this gigantic polished epic type thing. So uh, we're going to talk about a couple of of films. I think the first two films that you and I 
have been you know we're, we're kind of introduced to Mike uh, yeah. through but also talk about some of his other other uh, types of films as well um, now the, the two films we're gonna be talking about we'll get to those in a second but have you seen many of his other films I have seen a handful of them and I got into after seeing uh, one of the films we're gonna review tonight the first film we're gonna talk about tonight uh, I saw at some point when I was in college, I think we were talking about the other day, I couldn't quite nail down exactly when I saw it um, originally. But um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. In fact, it's one of those movies that kind of had a pivotal effect on me. Um, and yeah, so I got really into his stuff and I kind of like went and tried to find a bunch of it and ended up seeing a bunch of kind of obscure, low-budget, early works of his... Um, mm-hmm. saw the other film that we're going to talk about this evening, um, saw a couple more of his more popular titles. Um, he has, you know, so many films in his, uh, let's see, as a director, and he's keep in mind that he's also um, involved in films in other ways, so he's, he's a writer and he's um, a producer and et cetera, et cetera, but as a director, he has 103 films to mm-hmm. his name. So 103 film credits as credited as director on, which is pretty pretty much the most I've ever heard of. And I'm probably, I'm trying to think like of some like people, American or uh, European Western um, directors that would be comparable to him. And maybe only, you know, um, again, people that work in like low budgets, uh, you know, I, I actually mm-hmm. Even the ones that I know of, I was going to say like Roger Corman, but Roger Corman probably only directed, you know, you know, 20 some of his hundreds of films that his name is on. He's sort of a producer, executive producer, writer, et cetera, et cetera. And he's obviously a very prolific uh, filmmaker as well, but he wasn't in the director's chair on every single one of those things. And, and, and Takashi Miike right. was. And it, it, like you said earlier, it's so incredible that it's, it just runs the gamut of genre and, um, you know, anything uh, he's probably got an example of ev- any anything and everything you could think of um, genre-wise or uh, different kind of stuff, at least in, in Japanese cinema, which they're not... I think we've talked about this phenomenon before on the show, but uh, especially in Japan, but Europe as well, they're not as quite as hung up on the concept of genre as Americans tend to be. But True, true. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, that was a really I, I long-winded think... answer to... I've yes. seen <laughs> I've seen a handful of of some of his earlier work. Um, I I don't know. I mean I've I've seen some of the stuff then that, that came out again after the 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 films that we saw here. Um, and I guess just to, to to mention it before we jump into them, but the two films we're going to be talking about are um, uh, his his very well known films Audition and Ichi the Killer. But I just before we really go into introducing those, I mean some of his other ones that are really worth a watch are, um, oh jeez, the the Zeberman films are really kind of strange and, and interesting. I mean really that's a description <laughs> I could use to just about all of his films. Yeah, I was um, gonna say yep. But uh, you know the uh, some of his other Gozu is one that if you get it. <laughs> Um, more power to you. I've never really understood that movie. Yeah, um, I mean, there's not. I, I mean, he's a filmmaker that has a lot of you know open to interpretation, which we'll I think talk about a bit when we get talking about audition. But um, yeah, Gozu is one of them that just I I finally enjoyed it when I decided I was going to stop trying to understand it and you know just let it kind of be what it is and have its effect on me and 
I don't, wouldn't even want to. I, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about going, you know, on record and saying, you know, what I even think audition is totally about because I'm never, I've never been entirely sure I have it 100% figured out. But Gozu, I'm not even going to attempt it. Like my brain said no. <laughs> you know, yep. I, and yep. I think that's the only way it was enjoyable for for me. Um, it's cool because movies like that, if you can get over the like. And maybe this is a little bit of a Western thing as well, but get over the idea of, you know, narrative having to be, like, extremely linear and everything, and it has to make sense, and um, and just kind of turn that off and just kind of enjoy it in a sensational way. So, you know, enjoy the sights and the sounds and the um, movies like that. So, like, I mean, take, a, for example, a Westerner that makes movies that kind of are similar in some respects would be probably David Lynch as a... a yeah. A com- comparable in that sense where um narrative is not necessarily linear or even the the main driving force of his cinema so <laughs> but anyway yeah I, and i think that's yeah when you're thinking about a western director that would be the equivalent as far as a loose style i guess or approach to storytelling mm-hmm. yeah i would say david lynch is, is probably one of the best uh best comparisons you can make because yeah that guy some of his films are you know very western linear storytelling and other ones you know things like Mulholland Drive um good luck you know (laughs) Racerhead good luck uh I mean not that not that there isn't a central theme and a story being told I'm not trying to say that but oh sure the the way the story is being told is unconventional yeah Uh, and and even these two films audition and itchy both of these do have uh it it is fairly western style but there are some aspects of that non-linear uh aspect to them so yeah so i guess to start out here yeah the the first one we're going to talk about is the 1999 japanese horror film audition オーディション。息子に言われたんです。最近しょぼくれてるんで、再婚でもしたがって。朝美。行け。本当にオーディションするのか。何お前の再婚相手探すためだけにオーディションするわけじゃないよ。And this, yeah, this one, holy shit. Right. Um, this this is, is the first, this is the first one you saw too, right? Yeah. This is the first um, Takashi Miike movie that I saw and it, it's one of those movies that like, it's kind of, like, I think I called it a pivotal moment um, in, in, you know, me seeing movies, but it just really kind of like blew my mind. And the funny thing is, is like revisiting it and I've seen it multiple times, but it had been a while and revisiting it as an older adult, I mean, I was an adult when I first saw it too, but it really kind of re-blew my mind, I think, because I kind of picked up some different stuff from it. 
and yeah. which is cool i think that that a movie especially a movie that's a little bit open to interpretation it's cool that it can it ages with you and you kind of pick up some some different things uh from it but yeah this was one that um was amazing to me like when i when i first saw it and like i said i kind of dove into you know trying to see all things i could get my hands on and at that time it was a little bit harder mm-hmm. yeah um, to get your hands on a lot of his uh, work. I mean, the big ones were there. Obviously, Audition and Ichi were available on DVD already. Um, but yeah, a lot of them you have to kind of order obscure Japanese DVDs and hope they worked in your player. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think so. I had first heard of this film. Um, God, I, I remember very specifically. I was sitting in a pub <laughs> in a bar yeah. in in, in so- at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale and just hanging out and I, on the TV they were having like a top 100 AFI's top 100 you know scary movies or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that. it was one of those kinds of lists cuz it was around Halloween. And this made the list and I remember it was like Eli Roth was was gushing about it and other people were commenting on it and um you know, just, I, I, that memory is in my head like huh so this so this is the movie that fucks up the people that write fucked up stuff got it <laughs> yeah and and so i went and uh, sought it out and i actually found i didn't find it until i moved to to calb illinois shortly after and i happened to be at a best buy and noticed that they had it i get it home i start watching it it's weird. It the movie takes a hard left turn towards what the fuck. I'd say about an hour and a half into it, or an hour into it, mm-hmm. and at the moment where it makes that big turn, <laughs> and if you if anybody's seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, I'm not spoiling anything. But the first scene with the bag in the kitchen. Oh yeah, and it the the fucking DVD stopped playing immediately after that. <laughs> it was a corrupt disc. I didn't sleep that night. I was in my 20s. I was just like, what was in the bag? Oh, my God. <laughs> and it, uh, the next morning, Surprise I was you at that... out at, you know, in the middle of the night, banging on the door at Best Buy, like... <laughs> no, but I was waiting when they unlocked the door the next morning. Seriously, I was there at, like, yeah. 8.59 waiting, and I was like, I need a new copy of this right now. I got home, watched the rest of it, and it, it still kind of messed me up. That's one that... That's, you know, when we had Dan Eaton on the show we talked about buckaroo bonds like that's a movie you show somebody to see how well you're going to get along with them you know if yeah. they get it or not this is a movie you use to see how somebody's constitution check is how do they <laughs> yeah. respond to audition are they are they disgusted by it okay why are they disgusted by it yeah um, i think that's what's super interesting about it is what is it about it that disgusts them because yeah I mean, there's a whole discussion you can have about you know what what somebody's getting out of this movie and, and what it is they find disturbing because i think you could approach it from at least two different viewpoints i'm sure there's more than that but and i'm talking with like even within the narrative of the film there's definitely two different ways you could look at the events of the latter half of the film so 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 a, a basic synopsis uh oh, right. I'm, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase <laughs> here is uh audition is about a widower whose son suggests that he find a new wife. Uh, he agrees. And a friend of his is a television producer, or a film producer. And they stage a phony audition uh, for a fake show, essentially, to get all these 
you know, resumes in from all of these different women who are trying out for the show that the widower can go through and kind of find a woman that he likes. So there's right away some, you know, pretty strong, like, misogynism here, and it's done in a very interesting way. Mm -hmm. uh, and he does meet a woman, and she seems great. She seems to be just what he's looking for. But then you start to learn more about her. And at this point, if this was a Western film, it'd be like, oh, she's she's got some issues. And that is the biggest fucking understatement <laughs> ever <laughs> when thinking of this film. Right. And and it this film really does... Um, it, it turns into some some incredibly graphic violence and really disgusting gross out scenes, but none of them are done for comedy. No, uh, no. This isn't like a Peter Jackson early film, you know, where it's like, yeah, you saw somebody mutilated, but it was kind of goofy in this case. It's no, it's pretty really, horrific and and yeah. and in classic Takashi Miike style, and it it doesn't really shy away from the most horrific portions of it. It it keeps you right there. Uh, so I think for a lot of general viewers, this probably would go up there in the pretty, like, too hard to watch, or hard to watch category. Um, I didn't find it quite as disturbing, like, because of the graphic violence this time around, because I, I am much more, <laughs> I don't know, desensitized to it, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of movies with, you know, depictions of graphic violence everywhere from the humorous all the way to the you know extremely disturbing yeah and um this one's pretty middle of the road but it a lot of it has to do with the way it's presented it's why it's so terrifying and the characters and, and the situation um mm -hmm. don't get me wrong if you are not a person who enjoys um you know the, the more graphic side of the horror genre uh maybe this movie is not for you but yeah you know, i um just yeah i guess be warned it is certainly has its fair share of graphic violence and um i shy away from calling this i know people like to call the genre you know torture porn or whatever yeah. i i don't like this this movie gets lumped in with those um because it's got just so much more going on than a lot of the you know quote-unquote torture porn you mentioned eli roth earlier but like his hostile mm -hmm. films and and i i don't i don't necessarily hate those movies either but um I feel like this is this is honestly one of the most one of the smarter films I've ever seen in my life. I think about you know I I think there is a lot to be said about roles in this one. And again, I first saw this in what would have been probably two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand five, mm -hmm. I guess. And um, it it disturbed me then again because I had that rather bizarre experience with it cutting out during a really weird scene um which i've later i've la since learned that that scene is considered like one of the freakiest moments of the movie anyway i would agree oh gosh it's like I a mean, widely it's accepted probably thing. one of the most disturbing moments um in cinema history in my opinion and because... it's, it's a jump scare and it's a jump scare which usually are kind of eh, you know right and but it's just such like i think you, you called it a hard left and that that's a great description of what it is it's just so jarring because it's so against every like you think you have this understanding of what's going on in this movie and and, and i think the general viewer knowing that you know it's knowing that it's it's in the horror genre knowing that it's a thriller or something is they're expecting something to come right like right. is it going to turn into fatal attraction or is it going to be uh something along those lines and the way that this movie goes is just totally not 
what you imagined it was going to do, I don't think. I don't think anyone going into audition their first time would, could have predicted um, where it was going and how it was going to where it was going to put these characters so no i think if a, a really cruel thing to do would be to tell somebody nothing about this movie and just or anything at all and just sit them down and start showing it to them yeah um that, well that, even, be a, a, even one step farther you could even convince them that this is some sort of a um japanese like drama or even um quirky romantic comedy um, yeah, you know, because kind there of a dry, are aspects, sardonic romantic comedy, but <laughs> there are aspects of that definitely in the first hour. Yeah, I mean, in the first the first forty five minutes to an hour of this movie, there are scenes that are you know there are lines that are a bit humorous. Now, um, there's also wanted to mention just how watching you know so I first saw this in two thousand five, I guess, and it was disturbing then. And you mentioned the the role of uh, or the theme of roles in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think watching it again in 2019, you know, we we've commented on the show in the past about how social norms or what is acceptable socially has changed a lot in the last few years. So there's movies that we would watch now that were made 10, 15 years ago that would be really inappropriate today. Yeah. They'd be controversial today for for gags and jokes and stuff that they would tell that wouldn't be appropriate or themes and plot lines, plot devices that wouldn't be acceptable today and it would change the narrative of the story. And this is this is a weird one because I think that statement that this movie is making about gender roles uh, mm-hmm. in relationships um, is more poignant today. I, I think it was lost predominantly on the late 90s early 2000s audience when this first came out yeah no i, I think so I, I i would hesitantly put myself in that category because i don't think i got that out of it the first time i watched it which is it's kind of cool like i said earlier you know you get a little older you become a little more aware of the world and and you can get a little more out of the things when you go back and look at a movie that you saw a long time ago but um yeah no i think it's certainly about gender roles and relationships but also what we have to realize is it's it's not only it's about gender roles and relationships in japan but there are some def- certain cultural differences especially in the way at least through through their cinema and such um i think they've identified a difference in the way that people kind of deal with emotions and relationships and such and it's uh but i think this is this movie's about those changing uh, norms as well as you know changing uh, role gender roles in society and such so well yeah i remember the first time i saw this the whole premise that there's you know this this sad widower who's really focused on his son you know um in many ways uh you know he, he goes through and he talks to his friend he, he doesn't like approach his friend in, a, in like a, a slimy like hey we should do this right it's actually his friend the producer who's a little more slimy about it yeah yeah you know the the lead here is just he's no, lonely um, yeah I mean, and, what's and his he's name talking now? about how lonely he is mm-hmm. now one and it's his friend who kind of is like yeah let's do this thing so it's not like here's two scumbags now today it still kind of would be two scumbags you know and what he's doing yeah. isn't cool but no, he's no. not doing it to be mean or vicious so or, or to well, be I mean, you know disregarding he, he's, he's not looking he to get laid he's looking it. for love he goes along with it hesitantly 
And I think that's yeah. part of what, you know, kind of as his psyche diminishes in the in the latter portion of the film, it just adds on to the pile of things that he is uh, torturing himself about. He's punishing himself, which Asami ends up taking on that role literally of, yeah. you know, an instrument of torture, um, you know, that literally mutilates his body. But I think what it's getting at a lot of time, a lot, a lot of throughout this movie is that, um, what's his name? Ayama? Is it, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's his name. And, uh, that Ayama's, the way he, um, doesn't cope with things or doesn't let his life move on is just starting to eat away at him and he just tortures himself about every little thing. Um, to the point where I think that it's also very much about, you know, the lonely, his loneliness, his un- un- inability to get past the death of his wife years ago um, are the first little, you know, things that are he's carrying along with him throughout the narrative. And then thrown into the situation that he's you know borderline uncomfortable with i think he just creates this situation where um you know sets himself up to be punished and i i've read a lot of different interpretations of the latter half of the film um whether or not it's actually real world narrative and i think there's a lot of hints stylistically in this movie that it may not be and that most of the torture and the um latter characterization of Asami as, you know, kind of the um, Avenger and the torturous and uh, all those things is is a fantasy situation created by Oyama. But I also think you could read this film totally differently, that it is all literal as well. I don't think either of those readings diminish what it's saying about um, gender... Um, what it's saying about roles, what it's saying about loss, what it's saying about loneliness, what it's saying, you know, all of those things. Um, what I do think the the common interpretation of the film doesn't touch on, and that maybe we're a little more in tune to now, is that if Asami really is, you know, this, this character that as she develops in the movie, um, that she has a lot of the same types of development and i should say she in a lot of ways is a male fantasy but not the type of male fantasy you would usually see depicted in a Mm -hmm. film she is the male fantasy of that there's only once oyama finds out that she was she was abused she's damaged um he decides that she could only be one of two things She's either reality A, where she is a subservient woman that is, you know, shy and um, basically beck and call so much that she's almost uninteresting and it diminishes her attractiveness and stuff because she's just doesn't have much left of her. She's a shell of a woman that needs, depending upon his, kind of like she was always waiting for him, right? Or reality B, where she's so damaged that she becomes this, you know, revenge, (laughs) um, obsessed with revenge, torture, um, doctor of sorts that, um, you know, cuts up her lovers who become obsessed with her. And, um, so I think that's saying something very strong about the way that men, I don't want to pin it just on men, but the way that society views trauma and what it can do to people and that there's only, you know, in his mind, there's only two ways that she can be. 
and that's the A or B. Sorry, that's a really long. <laughs> no, I, I that's I I I think that's that's there's a lot of merit to that. Um, I see. I never got a big for that second role that you're talking about, or the second version of the fantasy. Mm-hmm. I never really got it as much that it's a revenge as it's just kind of kind of like version one but hyper aggressive and violent because a lot of the things she's doing to him you know she as she is brutally torturing him you know she's like pretty much you know take your foot so you don't run and (laughs) oh you said you love your son nope you only love me that was a lie and so yeah it's almost like she's for it's she's forcing him into the role that she wants so it's it's i don't know i I never got a lot of a revenge thing out of it as much as i got she if that is real right Mm. she is um pretty much taking the role of of what she sees men do not as a way of doing it as revenge but just to assimilate like okay this is what men do they force women to be a certain way i well if you're gonna say you're gonna love me forever then that means forever which means if you try to get away from me i'm gonna fuck you up you know um that's kind of the you know that's kind of a stereotype or a trope that you see a lot in in some you know comedies like you know the inverse Pepe Le Pew, right? The the obsessed with you. I am following you. I am everywhere. Kind of, I'll find you if you run away. Gag, taken to a really extreme and and used as a way of kind of ex- exploring guilt and shame and loss and loneliness and all those other things too. Um, I think yeah. that's why this is one of those weird films where it's like it's the most beautiful, disgusting film I've ever seen. Yeah, it's you know so incredibly well made and i think that beyond you know because the narrative itself is up for interpretation and and technically this movie is just so incredibly well made not only is it very very great looking but there is such a strong like what that you know that hard left that we talk about there is such a strong before and after to that the style of the film totally changes like you're talking um everything in the early part of the film kind of is set up in um you know, it's it's very stationary camera, longer shots, um, very beautiful attention to detail um, in everything. In very um, maybe you could say compositions, somewhat like a you know uh, Chinese or Japanese piece of art. The way it's kind of uses its empty spaces and such. Um, the second that he wakes mm-hmm. up from that into the you know into the latter half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole style of the film changes. All of a sudden, there's colored lighting, there's Dutch angles, there's handheld camera. It's, uh, you know, totally a different movie. Um, or it, it gives you the sense you, you get Ayama's, um, you start to feel his insanity because the movie itself has just totally changed. So yeah, you can feel becomes... the change in him and, like, the, the upset as he starts to, you know, become obsessed with Asami and start trying to dig in and yeah. find, not only find her, but find out about it, her. It just. It, it does yeah. start to become disorienting. Yeah, it really starts to become disorienting um, in in the way that it's shot in, in a good in, in an effective way, though. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's matching his kind of descent into madness. Um, 
Now, one thing I also noticed uh, this time around watching it is the, the version that I have, uh, the subtitles on it, because there wasn't a dubbed option for audio, and, and that's fine. I actually prefer yeah. subtitles <laughs> anyway, because usually you're getting a more accurate uh, translation in most cases when it's uh, subtitles rather than dubbed. But in this case, I don't know, the, the subtitles on it are really strange where I couldn't tell. Are the subtitles here just a weird version of the translation, or is this literally the way they're expecting people to speak to each other? Because, the, and I would love to see if there's a different version that is a different translation or not, a yeah. different set of subtitles. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, and the, the version that I it, just got, um, I had not, I'd, I used to own it, and in my DVD purge many years ago, um, ended up getting rid of it. So I, I, I repurchased it because it was one I, I definitely missed having. Um, and I got the Aero Video um, Special Edition Blu-ray that's fairly new. It came out in the past four or five years. And the I didn't remember, and I'm not saying it's not the same subtitle track, but I didn't remember seeing any of the little kind of... Um, I don't know, idiosyncrasies with the language barrier, language um, difference that you saw. So maybe there has been a, a new and better uh, subtitle track done for yeah, the more recent Because I've seen, I, I've seen other Mike films, again, but he's so all over the place with his style <laughs> that it's hard yeah. to tell. But I've seen other, other foreign films, other Japanese films with subtitles, and there is definitely a difference in kind of how conversations go and how formal people are, but it really kind of depends, you know, on the context. Yeah. But it, compared to Western. But in this case, everything seemed to be very formal. Like, there was a lot of discussion about him viewing this woman as she's so obedient. And I'm like, do they literally mean obedient, or is that just a weird translation of something that still isn't obedient, but maybe, you know, like, devoted or something like that you know i do remember the word obedient coming up at some point um i don't remember them dwelling on it so i don't know if that was something in translation that's changed a little bit but i have to go back and look at it again to actually take make note of it but and that that requires um you know mental preparation <laughs> yeah yeah it does it's yeah. this isn't a movie you watch every month you know it, 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 no it's... it's not a the, it's not a feel-good movie <laughs> No, it's it's not. It's a. I I did find there are scenes I still cringe at. This where I I literally like the legs come up to the chest on the couch and you you're looking away going ah oh, God you know. <laughs> there I do have a few moments in this movie where. You know, it, it's not a jump scare. It's a cringe. It's yeah. like a full body cringe. <laughs> but yeah, you know, again, this is one I. And I say all that, and I really like this movie. It's mm -hmm. even even if that translation is what they intended, and it is that kind of strange. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, that's okay. You know, it didn't detract from it. It just actually makes it kind of creepier. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see if there's a different version, to be honest, uh, or a different subtitle track. Mm -hmm. because then I'd like to watch these side by side and see or one you know back to back and see how how it really how that changes the way you tell a story yeah I mean it's certainly um 
a movie being presented not in its original language obviously always has that challenge a bit and with uh you know eastern languages chinese japanese etc there's you know even more of a barrier because the similarities you know they're not in the in the romance language or germanic languages um right they're they're kind of totally their own thing so yeah translation is harder because you don't have those like literal translations or at least literal translations don't always work Um, yeah there's some words that just don't translate there's some mm -hmm. concepts that just don't translate because there's it's not really there's really no word for it in the other language right um but yeah i i I guess that's something that this viewing made me realize is how important when you're watching a film that's made in a language other than your own in a culture that's quite you know different than your own in many ways the way that stories are told and you add all those things together uh it it, that's something i just never thought of before that wow this is really going to have uh an influence on the way that story comes across in another culture you know when being viewed Mm -hmm. from somebody who's not from that um you know like i don't know could you could you take a movie like i don't know just to pick a random american film like bridesmaids right and send it overseas to some other country where there's a a a language barrier and there's a a translation the gags are still going to be the gags but they might not find those funny and they may change the way that the characters speak to each other where some of the jokes don't work or the tone is very different it just kind of made me realize that that we we sort of take that for granted a bit i think when when watching films from another another culture not just language, but like con- concepts even that don't translate fully. So, right. um, now if you had to give this one a grade, what do you think you'd you'd give it? Oh, I love this movie. This is a, a favorite, of all time favorite of mine. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite of all time, but I definitely think this is an A movie in my book. So, um, it is disturbing. <laughs> Uh, kind of to the nth degree and it is highly effective but it's also just a incredibly well-made movie um, everything from the way it's shot down it, the way it's scored it just shows what Mike is uh, capable of and I, I don't want to detract from the you know his more fun kind of anime styled you know low-budget Yakuza movies that he's kind of known for the thing he has done the most of um, I have no issue with those. I enjoy those as well, but this is just kind of shows that, um, you know, what a brilliant filmmaker he really is. And he's not just this kind of gonzo crazy, um, person that he does, you know, have, a, um, an understanding of how to use, you know, film or cinema as, a, as a tool to tell a story, you know, this effectively, I don't know. It's, it's, it's great. I, I if you haven't seen it, and anything we're talking about makes you even piques your interest a little bit. I would recommend seeing it right away. This is one of those you got to see. I I would agree actually with all of that. I would also give this one an A. I think it's um, it it's a it's a, a, an endurance test, not because it's a boring film, but because it really pulls you in. I think it, it, it just for some of the visuals and some of the concepts that that's just, that are discussed. I also think that. Um, it's a film that I agree that it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but I think it's more poignant today than it was ever. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage people to test their limits 
and watch this one. And this isn't the most like fucked up movie I've ever seen. Let's not. No, yeah, it's mistaken. <laughs> Actually, there, there's there's a more fucked up Mike film that I haven't seen, and everybody who's told who who I know who has seen it has told me it's like a one time watch thing, if you get through it, and that's not like a challenge. It's extremely disturbing, and that's Visitor Q. Um, so that one's on my list. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week. We actually referenced earlier in the show a couple of times that we were going to talk about two Takashi Miike films on this episode. Our discussion actually went a little longer than we had anticipated, so we had enough material to actually make the Takashi Miike into a two-part episode, which is uh, pretty typical for what we do here, so maybe we learned our lesson not to try to jam two things together like that. Uh, but anyway, so we will be bringing you a entire show about the Takashi Miike film Ichi the Killer next week. So this is just wrapped up our discussion of Audition. We will continue to talk Miike and about Ichi next week. So I hope you uh, join us. Remember, you can always get in touch with us via the Facebook group, Twitter, or just shoot us an email and let us know what you think of Audition. What are your theories about the the film and what does it mean to you personally? Uh, Did it totally blow your mind when you saw it? I'd love to hear your story. Um, Shoot us a comment on the Facebook group or shoot us an email at videojunkyardpodcast at gmail.com and uh, hope you join us next week for our discussion of Ichi the Killer. Have a good night. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Video Junkyard Podcast, on Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard. <laughs>